Well, before we begin today, I have an exciting and important announcement to make. Uh, as you know, for some time now, we have sensed the Lord leading us to open up a Grace Chapel Foxborough campus. And um, the congregation's response to the Next Generosity Initiative back in January is enabling us to, to go ahead and proceed with the launch of that campus sometime in this 2017 year. Now, next, year I'll tell you, next week, I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, generosity initiative and the response to it. But today, I simply want to introduce to you the new campus pastor of the Grace Chapel Foxborough campus, Tom Boyclair. So Tom and Amy, would you come on up? So we just want to give them a moment to, uh, for you a chance to meet them, and then we can pray for them uh, on this really important day. So Tom, just tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your, your sense of calling here to Grace Chapel, sure. Foxborough. Thanks, Brian. Uh, originally, Amy and I both grew up in the area. We, we're from, she's from Mansfield, and I'm from Attleboro. Um, in high school, I felt a strong call to ministry. I uh, went to Gordon-Conwell, um, just north of here, and uh, spent eight years pastoring in my home church in Attleboro. And uh, soon after that, um, God called us to Atlanta. And we spent the last eight and a half years just north of Atlanta in Cumming, Georgia. And we had a blast down there. We learned a lot. Um, but over the last two years, God has been kind of finally calling me back. Amy was ready to come back a long time ago. <laughs> um, I, on the other hand, enjoyed the weather a little bit too much. Um, but really, God has been working on us to get us back up here in the last two years. And um, he's changed my heart. And I'm excited about that. Um, along about Thanksgiving, uh, there was a posting online that uh, for the job here as a campus pastor for Foxborough and Grace Chapel. I'm like, Grace Chapel? Foxborough? <laughs> and sure enough, um, just started talking with the staff and um, just really excited about what Grace Chapel is going to look like in the town of Foxborough and, and the church that that'll be for the surrounding communities. Amen. Great. Amy, just tell us a little bit about your, your family and how we can be praying for you these days. Sure. Um, so we have Noah, who's 12 in the sixth grade. <laughs> And this is Anna, um, who's nine in the fourth grade. Mm -hmm. We also have a, a beagle puppy at home. <laughs> um, you can be praying for us, please, um, as we make relationships and friendships as we settle into the Foxborough community, um, that we would be able to make key relationships and that God would lead us to the right home to purchase in that area. And finally, um, if you could be praying for the wisdom that we um, need to make decisions um, in the next couple of months with the leadership team in Foxborough. Thank you. Very good. Well, let's pray together, okay? Can we do that? <laughs> Lord, hear the joy in our hearts that uh, we sense your hand truly upon the, this next chapter of Grace Chapel's life and ministry. We thank you for the remarkable provision of that campus there in Foxborough. Thank you for the vision and generosity of that congregation in gifting it to us. Thank you for the folks who have come forward to say they want to be a part of that ministry and now for leading us to Tom and Amy and bringing them to us with their great heart for this part of the country, for that part of the state in particular, and uh, to be leading that church into a new and, and vibrant future. So we do pray your blessing on them as they settle into home and school and neighborhood. We pray for a quick bonding of their hearts to the leadership team there in Foxborough and look forward in the coming months to a launching a ministry there that we believe will touch many, many lives for many years to come. We are blessed, Lord, to be the recipients of such grace and goodness on your part, and it's our delight now to share it with the world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, can we bless them as they go on back to their seats? Thanks, you guys.
Well, some years ago, a seminary student named Jim and a few of his classmates took on a special project. They decided to work their way all the way through all 66 books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and underline every verse that dealt with poverty, wealth, justice, or oppression. And they found nearly 2,000 verses. Then they took a pair of scissors and cut out of their Bible every one of those nearly 2,000 verses. The Bible that was left was so full of missing pieces and so many tattered pages that it barely held together. And Jim was so moved by that experience he began taking that Bible with him as he went to speak in churches around the area. And he would hold up that ragged, tattered Bible and say, brothers and sisters, this is the American Bible, and it's full of holes. And then he would challenge those churches and those Christ followers to begin taking seriously one of the dominant themes of Scripture, God's concern for the poor and the oppressed. Well, that seminary student was Jim Wallace, and some of you will know that he's he went on to become one of the founding and leading voices for social justice in the church today, the founder of Sojourners Magazine and Ministry. Well, that story is told in the opening pages of Rich Stern's book, The Hole in Our Gospel. This is a book that many of us read and were shaped by a handful of years ago when it came out. Rich, in fact, spoke here and is a friend of Grace Chapel. He's president of World Vision, one of the largest Christian relief agencies in the world. In the introduction to the book, he writes this. The idea behind the whole in our gospel is quite simple. It's basically the belief that being a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. Now, last week, we introduced week five of the Roots Challenge by talking about what it means to be a public Christian, to have a vibrant, expressive faith that we actually live out loud in the world and relationships around us. We talked in particular about evangelism, about learning how to share our faith with others. Well, it turns out there's more to being a public Christian than just sharing our faith. It's also a matter of living out our faith in a way that actually changes the world around us and makes it, makes it a little bit more like the world God intended it to be. So week six of the Roots Challenge is actually part two of a unit that they're calling Sharing God's Heart. Part one was about personal evangelism, sharing our faith, and this week, part two is about social justice, meeting the needs of the world in Jesus' name. And we're going to discover today, this week, that God's heart is not just for all people to experience abundant and eternal life. God's heart is also for this whole world to become the world he originally intended it to be. And that's the missing piece of our Bible that many of us need to discover or rediscover. So before we go on today, let me just pause for a moment and congratulate you for making it past the halfway point of the Roots Challenge. Okay, it's about a nine or 10 week discipleship experience. We've got five weeks under our belt and we're heading into the second half. 
From what I can tell, for many of you, it's been a great experience in your daily readings and your small groups and here on Sundays. But just a word for those of you who perhaps missed the beginning and just never got on board, or those of you who started well but somehow just kind of lost track of the whole thing and you're tempted to give up, let me remind you of a certain NFL quarterback <laughs> who had a really lousy first half but came back pretty good in the second half. All right? So put your game face on. Pick up your Roots book this week or stop and get one in the lobby and join us for the next uh, four or five weeks as we finish out this series. So today we're going to go to a, speaking of football, pretty hard-hitting passage from the Old Testament. Let's see what we can learn here about God's heart and about what it means to have a public and transforming relationship in the wor with the world. That sounds pretty audacious. So let's look at these verses, Isaiah 58, 1 through 11. We'll kind of walk through them and then maybe try to get some personal application. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now, Isaiah is a prophet. So he speaks for God to the people. And it's clear from these opening verses that something is wrong. God is not happy with his people. And he wants Isaiah to get in their faces, to let them have it. He uses some pretty strong words here, accusing his people of rebellion and sin. So they must be doing something pretty bad for him to be so upset. See, when God call, refers to his people as the house of Jacob, that's like when your mother uses your middle name to call you. <laughs> Mary Ellen Smith, you get in here. Okay? Why is God so angry? Verse 2. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Well, this is strange. It seems like God's people are seeking him. They're, they're trying to keep the commands. They're praying and they're worshiping. They're even fasting for crying out loud. In fact, it sounds an awful like what's we're, what we're doing here in the Roots Challenge. As we daily seek God in our daily Bible readings, in our groups, it sounds a lot like what we do in the, in the season of Lent, as we humble ourselves and even fast, perhaps, from some things. So what's so bad about all that? Why is God upset? Let's keep reading. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Well, it seems that their inward devotion is not resulting in outward obedience. There's this disconnect between their private faith and their public life. 
On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. In other words, they're fasting at home and then they, then they go and overpay, or underpay or overwork their laborers. In the synagogue, they're praying and petitioning God and in the streets, they're cursing and accusing their fellow human beings. This isn't right, God says. It isn't just. So let's not miss this. God's not angry because his people aren't praying or reading the Bible or worshiping. They're doing all those things. He's angry because they aren't loving their neighbors. They're not doing justice and showing mercy. Apparently, that's a pretty big deal to God. He really cares. And he wants us to care about it too. And just in case they and we still don't get it, the prophet keeps going. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Fasting is fine, the Lord says through the prophet, as long as it results in the transformation of your hearts and of the world around you. When he speaks about loosing the chains of injustice, he's talking about about societal structures and systems that treat some people better than other people. He's talking about structures and systems that deprive men or women or children of living the full and free lives that God designed them to live. Did you catch the uh, new statue that was unveiled on Wall Street this past week? Is in honor of International Women's Day. It celebrates the strength and the courage and the beauty and the grace that women bring to our world. But on that same day, some women took to the streets to remind us that women still, in general, earn significantly less than men do in the world and have to deal with barriers and biases that men don't have to deal with. Well, that's not right. That's not just. God's people need to care about that. When, when, when people of one ethnic population enjoy advantages and opportunities that are systematically denied to people of another ethnic population, that's not right. It's not just. And God's people need to care about things like that. He goes on and talks about untying the cords of the yoke. He's talking about those laws and practices that, that treat people like beasts of burden instead of human beings. Practices that devalue people, that demean people, that exploit people. Forcing people to live or work or play in conditions that are not conducive to human life and flourishing. He's talking about things like human trafficking and, and child labor and domestic abuse and mass incarceration and abortion and homelessness. These things demean human beings. They rob men, women, children of life and dignity that God, that God created us to enjoy. And God's people need to care about things like that. 
He goes on to talk about setting the oppressed free. He's referring to people who've been systematically put down, held down, kept back by governments or forces or systems that keep them from realizing their potential. He's talking about tyranny and terrorism and racism. He's talking about the experience that millions of displaced people have in our world today as they languish in, in refugee camps with no place to call home and no means of improving their circumstances. That's not right. And God's people need to care about things like that. And so notice that through the prophet here, God, God is calling on his people to address these problems on a structural, systemic level, to reform the system, to defend people's rights and dignity and freedoms. Now, we get uncomfortable mixing faith and politics, and, and we should get uncomfortable because it's complicated and it's controversial and it's difficult to do well. But God expects his people to be in the mix and at the very least to be a voice for the things God cares about and sometimes to actually do something to address these issues, even on a societal and structural level. So sharing God's heart seems to mean caring enough about the needs of the world to say and do something about them. Caring enough about the needs of the world to actually say and do something about them. And so there in verse 6, he challenges us to address and speak to those things on a structural level. But in the next verse, chapter 7, he challenges us to speak and act on a very personal level. Look at verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Notice how very personal this is. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Your food, not the government's food. Your home, your shelter, your clothes, your time, your energy, your money, your hospitality. See, there are times to work for systemic and structural change, but there are also times to open our eyes and look at the people around us and do something that's right in front of us. When Isaiah speaks about the poor wanderer, that's biblical language for the refugee, for the immigrant, for the asylum seeker, for the displaced person. Many Christian people today are expressing concern about the plight of refugees and immigrants. They're wanting the nation to do more. They're wanting the church to do more. And that's right and good. The, the plight of the refuge and the immigrant, the stranger, the alien, that is close to God's heart. It's one of the, part of the founding vision and value of our nation. And so it's right to speak to the nation and to the church and to ask them to do more. But you don't have to wait for the church or the state to respond to the need of the poor wanderer. We all know people who have recently come to our nation from another nation, perhaps, or from another culture. We have refugees and immigrant people in our schools and our neighborhoods and our, our workplaces and in our churches. 
Are we reaching out to them? Are we opening our hearts and homes to them? In the early service, I told a story about a refugee family I met here at Grace who had been in the country and in a church for nearly a year before they were ever once invited into an American home. A year. Out in the lobby, I met another Grace Chapel couple. They've come here from Kenya, from the nation that we got Mzizi from. And they too have been in the country for years and been in churches for years and never yet been inside an American home. I was crestfallen when I heard that. They've come to Grace fairly recently, but they haven't been in a home here yet either. Now the good news, they said, is they feel very, very welcomed here. They feel very much a part of the family. They've, they've never had any issues, but they've still not been in a home yet. That's not right. It's not just, it's not God's heart. And so God's people need to care about things like that. So what can we do? How can we act? Let me offer you a few simple ways to, to, to live out our faith publicly in a, in a transforming kind of a way. And since we've been talking about the refugee crisis and it's such a, a hot topic today, let's treat that as a kind of a case study. What could we do? Well, first we can pray thoughtfully. See, prayer is not just a way to express our love for people, not just a way to seek change in the world or in a person's life. Prayer primarily is a way of seeking and knowing God's heart. Prayer is not us telling God what we want him to do. Prayer is bringing our needs and, and desires before God and asking him what he wants to do and then aligning ourselves with what he's doing. And finding out how and why. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Isn't that how we pray? So one of the ways to pray thoughtfully is to be as informed as we can be as to what's happening out there. So that we're praying intelligently and thoughtfully. So when it comes to the refugee crisis, it means finding out what's really happening. And not just from your own customized news feed, the one that's adjusted itself to your perspective and your biases and preferences, but to read from other sources, from folks who, who, who think and feel differently from you. It's about going to the Bible for yourself, like Jim Wallace, and tracing those themes of poverty and justice and the stranger, and trace them right through Scripture. So this whole process begins by praying intelligently. Now, we happen to be ha hosting a forum here at Grace in the Lexington campus on March 28th, a Christian response to the refugee crisis. We're partnering with World, Re World, World Relief and the Greater Boston Refugee Mission, a great opportunity to learn more about what's actually happened from people who actually have their feet on the ground here and around the world. Find ways to pray thoughtfully. Secondly, we can give generously. Give generously. Now, if you are sitting in any one of our Grace Chapel venues right now, congratulations. You are some of the richest people in the world. You are. Now, I know you may not feel rich, and, and, and I don't want to minimize any financial challenge that you're struggling with or the cost of living in this part of the world. I understand all that. But understand that if you have a choice about what you will eat today, if you have a choice about what clothes you're going to put on today, if you have a choice about how you might spend the rest of the day, you're rich. 
the majority of American people, the majority of us hearing this message right now, are among the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. And so we have been gratefully blessed with generous resources. And one of the ways of sharing God's heart is to share our resources with the needs of the world. And I always say that the best way to start doing that is to give to and through your local church where you know where the money goes and you have a part in directing where the money goes and hearing the stories of the impact it's having. To understand, when you give through Grace Chapel, a substantial portion of it goes right out the door to meet the very needs we've been describing in our city and nation and even around the world. In terms of the refugee crisis, your gifts go to the Greater Boston Refugee Ministry, the Grace Iraqi Church in Jordan, the Cedar Home in Lebanon, the Qasr el-Dabara Church in Cairo, all of whom are serving displaced peoples throughout the Arabic world. And if God has still put it on your heart to give even more generously, then reach out to World Relief or World Vision or Compassion and, and give as generously as you can. So we pray, we give. Thirdly, we reach out personally. As important as it is for the church to speak and act, you don't have to wait. There are people in your world you can reach out to today with friendship, with hospitality, with welcome, and just, just getting to know them. I like the way Pastor Eugene Choi puts it. Don't be lazy and make assumptions about people. Ask about their story. Then listen. Be humble. Be teachable. Be human. Be a good neighbor. So don't sit around complaining the nation of the church isn't doing enough. You can do something right now, right where you are. Fourthly, you can volunteer with a ministry or an agency. If you'd like to do something more formally and structurally, if you're having a hard time getting started, we have partners all over the city and the world that we'd love to connect you with who can put you to work for one day or in an ongoing kind of a way. Not just with the refugee and immigrant situation, but any of the social justice issues. We work with dozens of partners around the city, and we'd love to connect you with any one of them. In fact, we have some opportunities this summer for you to discover God's heart for the world. We have two adult trips going that we still have room for on our uh, cross-cultural learning experiences, our CCLEs. Two adult trips to Ecuador and uh, uh, Lebanon, and we have two family trips going, one to Mexico and uh, one to Jordan. You have an opportunity. Imagine your family having that kind of experience. I promise you, your heart will be changed. So we can pray, we can give, uh, we can reach out, we can volunteer, and finally, we can advocate responsibly. Advocate responsibly. So far, we haven't really ventured into the political side of things. And maybe you're relieved about that. But there is a time to do that. And you may sense God calling you to step into that mix. As Isaiah puts it, shout it out loud. You feel as though you have to say something, you have to do something in the political arena. Well, then you should. Write to your congressperson 
Sign or circulate a petition. Join a political action group. Do a get out the vote campaign. Rally with people in the streets. If God puts it on your heart, you should do that. Now, my personal conviction is that political advocacy is best done by private citizens and by parachurch agencies rather than by the local church and by pastors. It's my personal conviction. Jim Wallace, Rich Stearns, like Isaiah, are prophets. They speak on God's behalf to the people and the world. They are not shepherds of a local congregation. There is no way I can speak with one voice for the entire diverse Grace Chapel community. I just can't do it. Now, some of you wish I would speak more publicly about some of these things, but you say that assuming I'm going to say what you want me to say <laughs> about the issue that you really care about. You're not going to be so happy if I speak for the other point of view or not. So my role, the church's role, is to give voice to the vision and values of the kingdom of God to inspire and encourage and mobilize you, God's people, to go speak and act in ways that he compels you to. Now, to be sure, there may come moments and there may come issues when we, the church, when I, the pastor, may need to speak publicly about some issue involving the political realm. And there have been times in church history when the church and pastors have failed to do so. So we need to watch for those moments but we need to choose them prayerfully and carefully. So those are five simple things that any of us can do right now, today, tomorrow, to begin sharing and expressing God's heart for the world. Now, the Roots readings this week will introduce you to a variety of other social justice issues and ways that you can respond. And if you want to know more about this, if you want to get more involved, uh, Pastor Dana Baker leads all of our social justice and multicultural ministries. She would be happy to connect with you and get you in her distribution list and let you know some ways you can learn more or serve more. So we share God's heart when we care enough about the needs of the world to say and do something about them. Now, that's a lot of preacher talk. Before we finish up, I want you to hear from a regular person who actually is finding a way to try to live his faith publicly. So would you welcome Bassem Ibrahim here to the platform with me for a moment? Hey, Bassem. Now, Bassem is a bit of a rock star around here. Do you recognize this guy from the drama videos? Okay. Leader of the every other Sunday night Newtonville small group. Um, so, Bassam, introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your experience here at Grace. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, my name is Bassam, um, and my wife, Marette, and I, we live in Bedford, Massachusetts with our three kids, Chloe, who's six, uh, Cameron, who's three, and baby Juliana, who's three months old. Um, we, uh, we attend the Wilmington campus, although we've been involved at Grace for about 10 years or so. So, uh, hello, Wilmington. How's it going? <laughs> Um, at Wilmington, I serve in Kittstown, and I also actually lead or co-lead an LC, uh, a real LC, so I just don't play one on TV. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor. All right, we're talking now about um, this often neglected aspect of the Christian experience, and you've sensed the Lord doing a work in your heart over a period of years, but especially recently. Just tell us how that's unfolded. Yeah, sure. So um, my whole life, I've actually uh, personally had a heart 
for the unborn. Um, it stems back to uh, when I was a kid, actually in high school, I debated the whole uh, life versus choice issue uh, my senior year of high school. Um, and since then, I've, I've talked about it some, I've even prayed about it some, but I've never really done anything about it. Uh, four or five years ago, though, uh, you, you shared that sermon about Richard Stern's book, uh, The Hole in the Gospel, and it had a big effect on my life. So uh, I remember specifically, uh, you said, we've been preaching the gospel with a hole in it, and that we should be serving the needy and the oppressed just as much as we're sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, that had a profound effect on my life. Uh, around that time, I actually got invited to go to the Justice Conference, and there I met a whole bunch of Christians that were also concerned for the oppressed and for the needy all over the world. Uh, they were involved in helping free slaves around the world. They were involved in getting people out of sex trafficking. They were involved um, in helping refugees, and yes, even uh, helping the unborn. Um, it was there where I heard Chai Ling speak. She was a keynote speaker, and she talked about stopping forced abortions in China. Um, and I was inspired by that talk, and, and then I came back here and I realized that she actually attends uh, here at Grace Chapel, and I was, I was excited just to know that there were other people concerned um, right here um, in our congregation about the oppressed and the needy and doing something about it. All right, so, so the Lord began stirring in your heart, but how did that turn into action? What happened? Oh, sure. So through a network of folks that I met at the Justice Conference, I was connected with a crisis pregnancy center in Boston, downtown Boston, called Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices. Um, me personally, I haven't really been drawn to the political aspect of this thing in the past. Um, I, I really just wanted to reach out uh, to mothers and to babies um, and, and, and help those people out, and I was really excited that um, BCPC, the name of the center for short, um, actually had really cool ways to help out. One of the, those things was working at a baby boutique uh, where we would bring clothing items in for kids um, and babies, whether it be pampers or strollers or whatever it was, and we'd set up a boutique and allow expectant mothers who don't necessarily have resources to buy these things to shop and get these things for free, um, which, was, which was awesome. They need help organizing and setting this boutique up, so we've done that before. Um, people from my LC even joined me in doing that three or four times, uh, which has been excellent. Uh, one of the other things my wife and I got to do is we were introduced to a young couple that uh, decided to keep their baby, and we mentored them along that process. Uh, that was a really cool experience. Just last year, we also had another cool opportunity to uh, throw a baby shower for a family uh, that was being counseled by the, uh, BCPC. Uh, that was a really cool experience as well. Okay, and then recently that Heart for the Unborn has kind of intersected with the refugee situation, so tell us about that. Uh, that is correct. So uh, the, uh, the shower that we threw uh, ended up actually being for a Middle Eastern refugee family. Um, so they had just got here, they were pregnant with their fifth kid. Um, and uh, I myself, uh, I'm uh, Middle Eastern and I come from an immigrant family, so I can relate uh, to what it's like to adjust in a new land, in a new language, uh, adjusting to all of that. So it was really nice to help out. Um, we decided to hold the shower um, at the Arabic Baptist Church in Newton. Um, I've got a lot of family that goes to that church, and so that's where the shower was held, but we, we also brought people down from the Wilmington campus and the Watertown campus, um, and we, we, we uh, showered the family with gifts, had a really, really great time. Over the past year, we've kind of stayed in touch with this family, um, and we've been able to uh, 
help them with a need here or there um, from time to time. Even uh, this past week, we were able to do that. Uh, so we'll, the Wilmington campus actually had a clothing swap uh, two weeks ago. And one of my good friends from Wilmington, Debbie Menon, uh, she reached out to me and she's like, Passums, do you know any families that, that need clothes? We always have extra clothes at the end of this thing. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And uh, she took down all the ages of the kids from this uh, Middle Eastern family uh, that I spoke to you about. Uh, we packed up a whole bunch of clothes and we brought it over just this last week. Uh, and it was great to have the opportunity to do that. Well, Bassman, it sounds like you have found your go, as we've been <laughs> saying here at Grace. What impact has that had on your faith? Um, yeah, lots of impact. Um, so when we started serving the needy um, in, in this way, uh, we really uh, moved from believing in God, um, at least me personally, believing in God to knowing God is real and is uh, at work in people's lives. And, and the second thing is we've gained a whole lot of perspective as a family, um, working uh, with people who have relatively little um, as compared to us, um, yet they're so grateful, so joyful. And it really gives you perspective. And, uh, you know, we, we personally, I, myself, uh, uh, try not to complain about the little things that we usually complain about. And the, and the last thing is uh, serving with my family and even my kids has been a lot of fun and brought great joy to us. Um, and we want to serve with our kids and we want them to serve along us as we grow up. And it's not always easy. We've got three kids. We've got uh, to shuttle them back and forth from school and music practice and soccer practice and all those things. But every time we found the time to do that, um, it's been worth it um, and it's been rewarding. Amen. Well, can we thank Bassam for uh, sharing with us a little bit? Well, friends, these are complicated, unsettling, unpredictable times in which we live. It's easy to get discouraged, to wonder what difference one person or one church can possibly make in the face of the world's great need. It's easy to get distracted, to get drawn into political hand-wringing and, hand and polarizing debates that really accomplish very little. But we are God's people. We don't need to be discouraged and we can't afford to get sidetracked and distracted. Our God is on the move. His kingdom is advancing and he has promised one day to put this world right. And he's invited his people and empowered his people to join him in that redemptive, transforming work that one day will be accomplished. Listen to how Isaiah describes it. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Light, healing, righteousness, glory, that's God's heart for the world for all human beings to flourish and for the whole earth to reflect his glory. The Roots Challenge is not just about each one of us becoming a well-watered tree. It's about this whole world becoming a well-watered garden, a garden that was planted in Eden at the very beginning of human history, a garden that will find its fulfillment at the end of time in Revelation chapter 22, which describes a great city with a great river flowing through it. And on each side of the city is the tree of life. And the Bible says that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
Friends, you and I are like the leaves of that tree. We have been planted here in greater Boston for the healing of our communities and our city and our nation and our world. And we will not accomplish that by acquiring and wielding political power. We will accomplish it by loving mercy and doing justice and walking humbly with God. Wouldn't it be great if God's people, if Christ's people became famous around the world for being the repairer of broken walls and the restorers of streets with dwellings? We can do that. We can be those people when we care enough about the needs of the world to say and do something in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for challenging us today, for speaking into the realities of the world in which we live, and to our deep desire to see the world be a better place and to reach out to those who are hurting. We know, Lord, that they will not only be blessed, but we will be blessed as well, and more, we'll more fully discover your heart. So show us the way, Lord. Speak to us individually. Speak to us corporately. And send us out into the world this week to speak and act in Jesus' name. Amen.